0: So if you're following this in your Bible, turn to Romans 3, verse 21. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law of the prophets testifies. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded because of what law? The law that requires works. No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. What then shall we say? That Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter. If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against him is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised we have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness under what circumstances was it credited was it after he was circumcised or before It was not after but before and he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he is then also the father of the circumcised who not only are circumcised but also follow in the four steps of his faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be the heir of the world but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For it is those who depend on the law are heirs. Faith means nothing, and the promise is worthless, because the law brings wrath. and where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls unto being things that were not against all. All hope. Abraham, in hope, believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, So shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and his wife Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Brian's going to come and speak. I'll just quickly pray for Brian and then we'll let Brian get on. Yeah, God, we thank you so much for Brian. We thank you for all the study he's done and all that you've put into him. Lord God, I pray that he will uh, preach excellently, Lord. But more than that, I pray you'll open our hearts that we can receive uh, your word and your Holy Spirit. Amen.
1: Well done, Paul. Thanks, man. Yeah, a light little passage we get to talk about today, eh? <laughs> Howard gives me that one. Yeah, thank you. But this series on Romans we've been talking about, we, we've been talking about good news. Uh, so, and, and so that's what the Romans is really talking about, It's good news for a world that seems pretty broken. And, and so that kind of um, takes us to uh, our passage, um, and it, it talks about the good news of Christ, and that Jesus is the good news. That's what it's saying. It's saying, you know, your world is broken we're broken as part of that world uh, and we need fixing and Jesus is the answer for that. Um, it did, uh, if you go to the next slide, um, it talks about this. It says, um, it, this is earlier in Romans and it talks about not being ashamed of that gospel or good news for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to Jew first and the Greek, Greek meaning anybody not Jewish. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as is written, but the righteous shall live by faith. Now that's kind of an interesting uh, phrase. Um, Howard has talked a little bit about what comes after it in the last couple of weeks. He's talked about how um, one of the problems of the brokenness of our world is that people suppress the truth about God. Is that they don't they don't acknowledge really that he's that he exists sometimes, uh, or or who he really is. You know, what kind of God is it that. Uh, that people uphold—is it a, a vengeful, judging God? What kind of God, or is it God that just lets you get on with it? And you know, what, what kind of God is it that's real? That we suppress the truth about that. But the other thing is that some of us, especially the Jews, like last week he was talking about, who had God's law, had this uh, relationship with Him. They knew the truth about God, and check—they checked off on that. Uh, but they also kind of checked out on it too. Uh, and, and so, even though they did know the truth and accepted the truth, they kind of ignored it and were pretty much hypocrites. Um, so, that leaves us in a great quandary. Either we're suppressing the truth about God or ignoring it. Um, great place to be. Well, um, God actually did not decide to leave us in that kind of place. He said, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something about that. He's not the kind of God that says, oh, created that world, ooh, it's all messed up, I'll, uh, uh, I'll try again. Or, or I'll, I'll just let him be. Yeah? He actually wants to get in and do something about that. And that's where you get this big word called righteousness. Um, And so I wanted to explain that because that's one of those churchy, religious-y sounding words that I don't know if anybody really knows what it means, but I'm going to take a stab at it. Um, I think righteousness, when you look in the Bible, it's really talking about God's program to save the world, to put the world to rights. So that kind, of, that kind of helped me a little bit to think about that's what he's doing to put it to rights. You know? And not just the world, like the big world, you know, and all the oh, seven plus billion people on it, but, but actually your world and my world. He's trying to put that to rights too. So macro, micro, he's there trying to put it to rights. Now that takes on two things. It means he wants things to have a right standing with him. He wants to be rightly related to it again. He wants reconciliation to happen between us and him. He wants us to have a good relationship, a right relationship. But he also wants to do right acts. So there's both things there. There's, you know, how you stand with regard to God, are you reconciled or what kind of acts are you doing or or what kind of acts is he doing to bring us back to him. So that's kind of that's that big word <laughs> kind of I'm trying to break it down. So that's what righteousness is. Um and so um So we know that the answer is Jesus, right? We know that that is God's righteousness. That's his breaking into our world and saying, this is what I'm going to do about it. I'm going to send my son Jesus. He's going to take the the penalty for stuff that we've all done uh, to each other and to God that has not been right. And he's going to take that punishment and, and then he's going to put us right with God. That's our answer. That's our answer. He is our hope. He is our answer. But sometimes I find... That if you know the answer, you don't always understand the answer if you don't know what the question is. Is that a totally like academic thing to say? It's not about the answer; it's about the question. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But who knows about uh, forty-two? Does forty-two mean anything to you? What is forty-two? Yeah. Yes. Please come on, my geeky friends. (laughs) We know. What is it? That's the answer to the meaning of life, the universe, and everything. Douglas Adams, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Come on. All right. So you can't know what 42 is. See, they find out that's the answer. Oh, what's that mean? <laughs> so they have, to, they have to set up another computer to try and figure out the question. And I think that's what we're going to do today, is we know the answer. It's Jesus. Yeah, well, what's that mean? <laughs> what, what is that really about? Why do I need Jesus? Why do I really need Jesus to help me? And how does he help me? What does he do for me what 's the big deal about that see i don 't if you don 't understand what the question 's about you can 't really appropriate the answer can you right so that 's what we 're going to try and do today now in our text, um, it actually did say that the law and the prophets are witnesses to this answer, and so that 's what we 're going to do we 're going to call some witnesses and we 're going to see what they have to say about the question about why we need jesus and the first the first um, witness we're going to bring, we're going to bring an expert witness. You know, one that has a bunch of knowledge about the subject, but um, maybe wasn't personally there. Uh, and that expert witness is the law. Now, the law um, is, we think of is the Old Testament, the, the the scriptures that the Jewish people had before Christ. Um, and we also think of things like the Ten Commandments and stuff like that. Now, um, the problem we have with the laws, is I don't think we always understand what the law was about. And the first thing I think is that we think that the law was something that Jesus came to do away with and that he came to um, do something that, um, that contradicted it. And so we often think of laws this bad way, you know, people trying to follow the laws to be right with God. But then Jesus came and now we don't have to do that stuff. Well, it's not quite how it works. See, the law is, um, it was never meant to be a mode of salvation, a mode of reconciliation. That's, it was was never that. It wasn't, you follow these rules, you're going to be great with God. That's not how it ever worked. Um, We have a, a verse. Don't think I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I didn't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now that's a tough tension. What does it mean to abolish? Or to he's not doing away with the law. This is key. Because the law has a continuing purpose. And we're going to look at that. But it, it, it says he's going to fulfill it. And we'll look at that as well. Unless heaven earth uh, Until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then, and those of you who, who are Christians, think about this too. This is to you. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. In that, in that new, recreated world that God is, is trying to do, you know, that reconciled world, that vision that he's going for. Um, uh, but whoever keeps and teaches them, he, shall be called, he or she shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses those of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll not enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words... You th- the scribes and Pharisees were ones that kind of overdid the law. They, you know, they were just real keen on it. You know? and, they, and, and they said, oh, okay, you got the law, we're going to do you one better. All right? We're going to create little laws around it to make it... Uh, you know, so we never, ever do anything wrong. You know? That's what we're going to do. We're going to make sure that we, we follow it to the nth degree. You know? We're going to show people how, how much we can do that. Um, but... The problem is, Jesus was saying not that the law that they embraced was wrong, but the way, what they thought it did was wrong. They used it the wrong way. It's like taking a tool and, and using it the wrong way. You know, um, I, <laughs> I do that a lot, using like staplers and other things for hammers. You know? It doesn't work out too well. Um, so, and, and that's kind of what was going on, um, is that they're using the law in the wrong way. By the works of law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. In other words, you can't be made right with God by doing the law. Never could. One of the things I think is really important to to emphasize here is that Jesus, as our answer, is never a plan B. You know, you had the law, God said, okay, I know, I'll fix the world by making all these rules. And and if they, they follow those rules and they do a really good job, then maybe we can get back together and things can be the way it should have been they're not quite doing it. Maybe, I know, I know. Jesus, hey, come over here. Why don't we send you down? (laughs) Fix thing. It wasn't a plan. Jesus is never a plan B. So the loan was not actually a plan A. (laughs) It was all part of the same plan God has always had to bring you and me back into a right relationship with him. Why? Because we need to know who he is. We need to know where life comes from. You know, I think of life as coming from myself. You know, and I think of having life um, come from other people. But actually, life comes from the one who created us, who who shaped us, who knows how we work, how we're wired. You know how what what fits us. You know what what we're fitted for. That's where life and enjoying life to the fullest comes from, is from God. Okay, next slide. We can have it. Um, Here's one of the things I think is also important to understand, is that the, what was the law? You know, what did it do? Well, the law was never about salvation, but what we see here is it's actually a response to salvation. This is the, this is the preface to the famous Ten Commandments, which, by the way, English law, American law is based on. Uh, they won't tell you that because it's politically un- incorrect. But, um, but actually, that's uh, a lot of our law, legal systems are based on the Ten Commandments. Um, and what's interesting is, if you look at how it, it starts, um, God spoke all these words, and he says, I'm the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt? Out of the house of slavery. And then he launches into the Ten Commandments, don't do this, you know, etc. That is saying that actually God has already broken in. He's already rescued them. He's already been acting on their behalf before they've done anything. They haven't lifted lift a finger. God, he, he, he saw them in slavery in Egypt and said, I'm going to take you out of there. I'm going to lead you out of there. And I'm going to give you a land of your own. Oh, and by the way, after I do that, this is the kind of people I'd like you to be. This is how I'd like you to respond to me to what I've already done for you. You see? So the law isn't let's earn it. The law is how do we show appreciation for what you've done? You see? It's a very different thing. So so then how are we going to use the law? Um, Next slide, please. Um, The law does several things for us. Um, It teaches us about about grace. It gives us... um, it gives us an, uh, uh, an understanding that of the necessity for it. Um, but it does more than than that. It paints us a picture of what God's life, what, what he wants life to look like. So he was trying to create a community, a community in the world that would reflect his values, and reflect the kind of life that he put in it, and... Um, and that's the kind of world that he wanted it to look like. Um, it's a picture of that. But we don't always get that picture. We think of the laws as a bunch of do's and don'ts. But it's, it's more than that. It actually um, is a baseline. It's a minimum. Let me explain. There's no law in the Old Testament or in the Bible that prohibits polygamy. In fact, you see lots of characters in the Old Testament, especially, having multiple wives and things. It didn't go the other way around, funny enough. But, um, <clears throat> uh, and, and, and so there's no law against that. Does that mean it's okay? If you're trying to live by the law, is that cool? Can you go ahead and do that and get away with it? Well, what's interesting is the law, especially in the, in the Old Testament, often referred to the first five books. So in those five books, you do get the Ten Commandments and, and, and the law codes, the legal codes. But you also get most of what it is, is story. You know, that's where you get Adam and Eve and Noah and the Ark and you know, Abraham, you know, all these kinds of stories that are going on. right? And so what's interesting is the, the, the legal bits and the story kind of comment on each other. And you'll notice that in the story bits, every single time polygamy comes up, somebody has multiple wives, disaster follows every single time. Not one exception. I mean, you think the first guy was a murderer, and he had two wives, this guy named Lamech, and then, then Jacob gets tricked into it, but uh, his whole experience with Leah and Rachel, who were sisters, can you imagine being married to sisters? Oh, my gosh. Oh. <laughs> That's hell enough. But anyway, um, I can't imagine that. And, and um, that doesn't get resolved until It takes like... You know, the rest of Genesis to resolve the the fallout from that one. And King David had multiple wives, and his family, uh, you know, was was disastrous, you know, and it eventually ripped the kingdom apart. And Solomon, who was famous for having a thousand wives, they led him away from the Lord. So every single time it happens. So you see what I'm saying? The law wasn't this pinnacle of, man, if you could just be that good, things would be right in your life. You'd have right relationships with each other. You'd feel fulfilled. You'd be right with God. If you could just do that. Now, actually, the law is saying it's much higher than that. People, the law is the baseline. That's the minimum. But actually, there's an ideal up here of what life should look. One man, one woman. You know that that kind of thing. That that it, it's embodying. So it's giving us a picture of what life was meant to be like. Now, some of the other things it does. Why, why Why does it help us understand Jesus better? Well, it gives us not only that picture of what he 's saving us to be and what life should look like in a community of faith, but he 's also pointing out the need for grace because one thing the law couldn 't do was help you and me become like that. He gave us no help to do that I, I um, am continually laying down the law with my kids. Um, or trying to, um, especially with bedtime, and you know, they have to go to the toilet and brush their teeth and get ready for, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it doesn't matter how many times I lay down the law on that, you will do this, and if you don't do this, you know, you're going to have consequences and et cetera. Uh, It doesn't ever help. (laughs) They're always getting distracted and, you know, going off and looking at the telescope or, you know, it just, it will never happen. Does it ever happen? Do they ever get this straight and... Just get ready for bed and boom, it's done. <laughs> I don't think so. Um, but see, my laws don't give them power to change. You know, there's consequences, but they still suffer those consequences and they don't change, you know. Um, maybe that's my parenting problem, I don't know. But <laughs> um, uh, but do but you see what I'm saying? The law doesn't give us that power to be any different. It can give us a great vision, but it doesn't give us anywhere to get get to that vision, you know. so So it leaves us wanting, doesn't it? But let me let me give you a couple of examples of how the law you can still use the law today. First of all, the law can give us this uh, give us a, a better picture of why we need Jesus and how much we need him. You see, without a law, you can't convict somebody. So you know, when I come and say, you see, oh, Jaden, don't don't draw on your sister's face in the night. You know, it's. <laughs> Oh, but dad, you didn't tell me not to do that, you know. Uh, you know, I, I can't come down on him because I didn't say you can't do that, you know. Um, so the law sometimes gives you a way of addressing the things that are wrong and, and of identifying them. See that, that's it right there, you see. And it gives us a way of grasping it in that. Um, and so for us, the law gives us an idea of just how bad we are sometimes. And oh, that's not a joy, I know. But... But sometimes I think we think we're better than we are. We think we're doing okay, but sometimes deep in our hearts, there's maybe a little coveting or um, you know a little pride, uh, you know, putting, on, putting our, our identity, letting it rest on some of our achievements, or on our network of friends, or you, you know? And, and or even the good things we do sometimes become tainted by these ulterior motives. Actually, if they they see me walking this old lady across the street, you know I'll look good in there. That kind of thing, you know. So sometimes we're not as good as we like to think we are. I think that happens a lot. <laughs> um, the law can help us see our need for for Christ and what He did for us by by taking those sins on the cross for us taking the penalty for us and, 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 and the need to be reconciled. He can show us that. But there's another thing the law can do for us too. When I say the law has an ongoing purpose, well actually I didn't say it, Jesus did. Um, what, I, what I mean by that is that it's still valid. It still gives us a picture of what God wants life to be like. It still gives us, a, and that is still valid. He's still headed there. Now there are some things that have changed. So because Jesus came, some of the law, the, like the sacrificial bits that they used to do, make sacrifices for different things. That's done away with because Jesus' sacrifice on the cross takes that place. He fulfilled that. His sacrifice is a once-for-all job done. It's done. You know, it took care of that. So we don't have to keep offering sacrifices. All right. Uh, the moral things, though, are still in place. Still not okay to murder. You know just because Jesus came, uh, you know, actually, that the, the moral part of the, uh, the Old Testament law still applies, right? But then, then there's those weird bits, those ceremonial bits, you know? And I always get this. If you ever talk about issues like, um, I don't know, homosexuality is one that people like to bring up about the Bible and go, ah, oh, see, look, you say, there's this passage in there that, that doesn't appreciate homosexual practice here and says, that's not good, And yet, right in the next chapter, it's got this thing about not wearing clothes that have two different cloths that it's made up of, you know. So you're telling me you're going to apply that one, but not that one. You're kind of a hypocrite, aren't you? You know? Have you heard that kind of thing? Yeah? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. The way you apply that is you look at the ceremonial thing and you say, what is it trying to picture? What is it telling us about who we're to be as a people, how we're to be... related to God, how we're to be related to each other. What does that tell us? Well, talk about those cloths, right? It's talking about being made up of essentially one thing, of being a pure person, a person with one motive, of of, of one priority, you know, that God is top, other things are not top. Let me put that into uh, uh, an example for you. If you are um, a Christian and you're a believer in Christ... Are you dating someone that's not, that has maybe a different faith or none? See, those things are different cloths. Those things are not going to be things that are going to work well together, and they're not going to bind well together, and they're not going to display the, the purity and the, um, the kind of godliness that God intended for uh, a relationship to show. You see that? And so, in a way, those kind of passages are still applicable today, Now, yeah, I've got, this shirt's made of several things, I think, Um, but that's, see, it's not applying it in a literal way. It's saying, what's the point behind it? What is it, what kind of picture is it drawing for us about God's community, God's world, the way he wants it, and our relationship with him? If you can dig into it and find that, you can find the application that it still has today. So... Do you see what I'm saying about the law? It still has application today. It helps us know, uh, know our need for Christ. It helps us under, appreciate what he did for us even more. If I know how, much, how, how badly I need him, I'm going to appreciate and worship him all the more when I realize what he did for me, right? And then it has some continuing application. Now, that's not the only witness. Um, the, the other witness that uh, the text talks about to Christ is the prophet's. Now, there was this debate in the prophets about justice and mercy. And, it, and, and the rabbis, these are the guys, you know, after, kind of between the Testaments, um, kind of pre BC, going you know, to be between 400 and 0 AD. Um, and they said that how can God be just and merciful at the same time? How can we do that? Because, you see, if God is just, and by the way, just and righteousness are the same kind of, they're peas in a pod, in fact, the same word in Greek. Um, and so, if God is trying to put the world to rights, he's got um, to show justice, right? For instance, if, if uh, we had a problem, you know, like, I stole some money off you, right? If God showed me mercy, said, oh, I'll let you off, how's that going to make you feel? He's not being just towards you, is he? You see? And vice versa. So you've got this tension going on here between God putting the world to rights and making sure uh, people are acting towards each other like they should and towards him like they should. That requires justice to be done. And yet, if he just does justice, then we're left in in the... you know, in the problem we're in, we're left in this sorry state without a, a way to fix ourselves, right? All we get is some condemnation and that doesn't help, right? So how can God do that? Their solution was to compromise and say, I should get punished, but not maybe as much as I deserve. That was our, their kind of solution. But that, that kind of leaves us both dissatisfied, really, because I'm still getting punished and that doesn't help me and you're not getting your due. You see what I mean? Thanks for letting me use your example there. <laughs> um, and... Uh, so, so what do we do? Well, the prophets have a, a way of addressing this. Um, the prophet Isaiah said to uh, the Jewish people, he said, um, How the faithful city, that would have been Jerusalem, has become a harlot. She who was full of justice, righteousness once lodged in her, but now murderers. So she used to be that, that nascent example of what God wanted the world to be like. You know, he's like, hey, come world, check this out. This is kind of what it should be. But now it's been corrupted. They're like murderers. And wh- what does is Isaiah tell them to do? I know it's beforehand, but it, 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 it works. He says, learn to do good, seek justice, reprove the ruthless, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. Now this is an echoing cry throughout the prophets, especially that last bit. Defend the orphan, which meant fatherless, actually, and, and plead for the widow. Those were the two categories in ancient society that had less legal representation. They were easy to take advantage of. You could grab their land pretty easily and nobody would do much about it. And They could be easily abused. Because, see, in that day they didn't have a defender. They didn't, they didn't have the father in the house. They didn't have the husband that had that legal standing that could you know, bring, bring fairness and justice to do, you see. And so they were easy to, to abuse. And what the prophet is saying is, it's not enough for you to just be right in yourself. Oh, I follow the law. I'm okay. Um, I'm good. I'm good. No, he's saying actually, what justice and righteousness mean is that you need to be proactive, you need to be an advocate for somebody. In fact, it, it, the word could be translated as a champion. Are you going to champion somebody else? I want to show you a clip of an example of something that happened this week. It's funny that the half marathon was on today. Another race was going on, perhaps you caught it, uh, in Mexico. It was a triathlon. Uh, and so you saw this? I hope so. All right, we have a clip.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah there we go, champion. Oh, and he's starting to
2: slow. And there is a little way to go, there's half a K to go. Now, the first point was huge, the the general time. And he's losing losing his sense of direction. This is worrying. Oh, goodness me. This is a horrible sight. Jonathan Brownlee has lost it now and has staggered to a stop at the side of the course. And Alistair's stopped to help him along. And Alistair is going to try and carry his brother home. Dramatic scenes in Cozumel as the Olympic champion carries his younger brother towards the podium. Yeah. That's more of to me. Matt, is it allowed? Is it allowed? Is that part of the rules? I'm not too sure. We've never
1: seen anything like yeah. this yeah.
2: before. Unbelievable scenes. Unbelievable scenes in Cozumel. To finish in second and third, Johnny. Can hardly stand. And Alistair is having to drag it across the line and pushing
1: it home, pushing it home for second. Johnny finishes in second. Goodness. Yeah. What a <clears> throat> 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 a couple of things I thought were really notable about this. First of all, I don't know if you heard what the female co- commentator said. During the middle of that, she's going, is this legal? Is this against the rules? No! <laughs> it's beyond the rules, you know? If the rules would say, you know, if he, if he hopped on a motorbike and carried him across, you know, it, it, that would have been illegal and, it, and the point would have been made. But the point is, they weren't just following the rules, they were going beyond it. God desires a world that isn't just a world, a rule-following world as good as that would be. Even the, even the ideals we talked about with the polygamy thing. He's talking about a people that have his heart. They go beyond and say, I'm okay, but you're not, and so we're not. We've got to have advocates. We've got to be advocates for each other. Oh, the other thing I thought was cool, he pushed him ahead of himself. He, his brother finished second. He finished third. He could have won the race. He still was in there with that South African guy. He could have done it, maybe, right? But what was more important, where was his heart, was his brother's going to finish. He's going to finish first. Be ahead of him. That's where our hearts need to be. So let me ask you this. Who are you championing, championing today? Who do you know that needs a champion that cannot fix themselves? That needs a hand. That needs somebody to break in from the outside and say, let me, let me put my arm under you. It's not going to be race. Maybe it's emotionally. Maybe it's dealing with a relationship. Maybe it's a job thing who needs a champion around you and who can you be a champion to? And the other thing I think is Jesus is our great champion. He's the one that did that to us because we couldn't help it. He was righteous. He hadn't done anything wrong. Not one thing. He could have sat by and said, sucks to be you. But he didn't, did he? He came down and he took all of our pain on himself, on his shoulders. Everything was due us. He took on himself and he bore that for us. He is our great advocate. You know, he's still doing it right now. It wasn't a one-off. He's up in heaven right now advocating for you and me before the Father. Who can, who can be an advocate? The last thing I want to say is about, about faith. Why does faith need to be part of this thing? Why is faith part of this project that God has to bring the world back? Why does it need to do that? Couldn't he have just sent Jesus and said, okay, done, you're all fixed now. Good luck. (laughs) Why did it have to be a faith thing? Well, it's because God wanted to reconcile the world, not just to make it right in itself and let it off to run like some deistic God, but he wanted you and I to know him to have a relationship with him, to be right with him. And the only way you can do that with an invisible being, one you can't see, is through faith. God, um, we, we, we have this example of Abraham. And what did he do? He, um, God had promised him to be the start of this uh, reconciliation product, project. And he was going to have... Um, have a son right but he was 100 years old remember we, we read that earlier and, and his wife was uh, I think she was 75 at the time so we, it said this can't happen this can't happen um, but he did he had faith and he had faith in a couple of things um, next slide please um, let me show you a, a couple of things first of all look in, in the middle right there in verse 19 he contemplated his own body good as dead See, I think this is a key to faith. You've got to actually contemplate yourself and come to the end of yourself before you can actually have faith in some God that can do something for you. Because if you still believe that you've got a little bit left, you know, unlike Johnny, (laughs) you got a little bit left in the tank and you can still fix it. If you just try a little harder, hang in there a little bit longer, you can't really have faith in God. Um, A year ago, um, my wife and I had a problem with the HMRC. I don't know if you've had any problems with them. Um, we had been claiming a child uh, credit, um, but on our visas it said uh, no access to public funds. But on the form, and some people advised us about this. Um, they had said actually some immigrants do uh, qualify, so go ahead and apply. You know, and so we copied our, our visas so they knew about the restrictions and. And put the form in, and they they gave it to us, and we were like, "Yes, praise God! Um, how good is that?" And then we did it again when Jasmine was born. So you know, and then seven years in, they come back at us when we were applying for our indefinite leave to stay here, um, and said, "Actually, you shouldn't have got that, and now you owe us ten thousand quid." And now, I don't know about you, but I've got ten thousand quid to spare. And of course, we're applying to stay. <laughs> What's going to happen? <laughs> Sorry, you're out of here. Um, so we were, you know, we were up against it. Now, we tried everything we could. We tried reasoning with them and trying to show them, look, th- we did this, you know, honestly, you know, it wasn't trying to, you know, work the system and all that kind of thing. Um, and we had proof of that, except that we, when we were dealing with them, we realized they, they delete all the records after two years. So all the evidence that we had actually shown them our visas and done everything right, we didn't really, so we knew we were innocent, but we couldn't prove it, you know, Talk about being at the end of yourself. We had no recourse. We talked to lawyer friends and, you know, we had done everything we could. and Don't have it. Don't have it. This is where we're contemplating our body. Our, you know, the, the, we're at the max. Can't do any more, God. Can't do any more. But then it says... He he had faith in him who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. Those are the two big things God is. He's a creator out of nothing. Remember, that's what the people were denying when they were suppressing the truth. And also, he's able to resurrect from the dead. That's what he did with Jesus. He brought him back to life. If that's the God we have, then when I come to the end of myself, I know I have a God that can Make a way out of this. Because naturally, we love natural things. We love to, t- to talk about science and weather and, and look at cause and effect. If you've got these conditions, then tomorrow it's going to be like this. It doesn't quite work that way, though, somehow. <laughs> but do you see what I mean? And we love science. If you have these, uh, these chemicals and you put them together in this way at this temperature, you're, you're going to get this. You know? We like to be able to predict how cause and effect work. And we think the whole world works that way. But this says, faith says, I've got a God that can break into that and do something different. And tomorrow does not have to look like you think it's going to look today. It doesn't have to look that way because God can break in. And you know what he did for us? We got to the judge, and the other guys had not, uh, HMRC didn't show up. And um, we get there, and you have all these arguments in your head, and you're ready to go. And the judge says, The case is finished. It's decided. You've won. But i got all these arguments. (laughs) You've won. Before we even started, the very first thing out, you've won. You've already won. And that's where we are in Jesus. You have already won. Now, there's a, a process to go to realize all that and to fulfill all that. But you have already won in him. So let me ask you a few things today. Have you come to the end of yourself? The end of what you can do and you can cobble together and you can hang on and make things right in your relationships or your job or or how you feel about yourself. Have you come to the end? Do you believe in a God who made things from nothing? Everything you see here, he made from nothing. All the elements you believe in a God that can take things that have died, that that are no good anymore, relationships that have they've soured to the point where you can't reconcile, He can take things that are dead, desires in you, or He can take things that are dead and make them alive again. He can do that. Have you given that over to Him? Abram's faith is the same kind of faith you and I can show in Jesus. Now, I don't know, maybe some people here have not uh, ever given their lives over to Jesus and and shown that faith into him. And today can be the day that you start that new kind of life. A life where he can break in and make your life the way it was meant to be. The way to have that fullness of life, that picture that he was trying to draw in the law for you. He can give you that. He can give you more than that. He can be your advocate and come alongside you and help you and be with you. Not to do your own things, but to do something you hadn't even dreamed of. Things that are even better than you've dreamed of. And this is what you do. You come to Christ and you say, you know what? I've messed up. I know I'm broken. You know, I, I can't do this on my own. I can't fix myself. You know, even if I look right to other people, I know there's inconsistencies in myself. I disappoint myself. Much less you, God. And I need your help. And then you say, Jesus. I'm going to ask the band to come up right now. The band, if you guys could come up and start playing. You say, Jesus. Jesus. You've been there. You've lived a perfect life. But you know what? You, that wasn't enough. You came down to be my advocate. To come alongside me. Will you do that for me? And let what you did on the cross take care of all that wrong stuff I've done. And reconcile me to God. To that life that you meant for me. Will you do that today? You do that. That's faith. That's faith. That's faith. Believing in your heart. That's the faith. And he will reconcile you. He'll put his spirit in you. And he'll put you on a new life. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes, it takes a lifetime to work that out and all the implications of that out. But he will give you his spirit immediately. And that's the start of a new life. For those of you who have already accepted Christ, can I ask you a few questions? Could you put that slide up the last I want you to think about a few things. So the band are going to start to play and, um, and I want you to consider some of these things. And if you'd like some prayer about any of these things, um, just slip your hand up and some of the, the team will come and pray with you or maybe somebody next to you will pray with you uh, about that. But here's some of the things I want you to think about. Have you used the law as a substitute for your relationship with God? Measuring how you're doing According to, oh, I haven't done this and I haven't done that. Or have you used it as a picture and as a discerning tool for what God's saying to you? You know, maybe it's it's a case of saying, you know, has letting the law guide you as to what God's saying. You know, God, the Spirit's not going to lead. God's Spirit's not going to lead you somewhere the law doesn't allow. You know? So sometimes you can use it as discerning. So can you use it as discernment? To discern God's will, who are you championing today? Who is, who's God put in your life that you can come alongside and be there for them? Where do we need our champion? Have you connected with your own champion? And then finally, have you reached the limit to yourself? Whether you're a Christian or not, have you? Are you still trying to make the change yourself? Or will you give it over to God? Will you, let, will, you, will you say, God, I need you. That You have to step in. You have to be the creator again. You have to be the one who resurrects from the dead or this is not going anywhere. Until you get to that point, he's not going to break in because you won't know that it was him. Are you at that point? If you'd like some prayer with some of these things, please slip your hand up.
2: Why don't you stand with me? I'm going to respond by breaking bread. Um, if you just, let's just go there for that moment. We'd come to the end of ourselves. We were the Alistair Brownlee wandering around on the road. <laughs> Our race was over. We'd not kept the law. We'd not walk with God. But it says in Romans, but God. God came in. God came and ran alongside us. God took our flesh. He entered the race, kept the rules, kept the law perfectly. And then, as it were, wrapped his arms around us to carry us home, to push us to fulfill the law. But he laid down his life to do that. He laid down his chances of glory. His body was broken. They took the great king of glory, the one who'd no sin, who broken no laws, who was the very truth of God, and they tore his body apart, nailed him to the cross. They called out, "He saved others, but he cannot save himself, but they didn't see that he stayed there to save others he stayed there body broken, blood shed to save others he's the sacrifice that fulfills the law, he's the life that fulfills God's requirements so let's just put up your hand if you feel, yeah I I need this sacrifice afresh, I need this life of Jesus afresh I'm like Abraham in I've got no hope. I've been promised all these amazing things, but I can't even have a kid. Actually, our situation is far worse, far greater. We'd been asked to reach these standards and no chance. But I thank you that we believe in a God who's called things that are not so what they were. Lord, we just pray now. If you've got your hand raised, we just pray, Lord, for the grace of God to come to you. Free gift of God, undeserved, for... (laughs) The Spirit of God to come alongside you as you're wobbling along your course. If you've wobbled on your course, He's going to come alongside you, He's going to wrap His arms around you, He's going to carry you home.
1: For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.
2: Let's come and take bread and wine now.